Well, recently I've had an identity problem. Um, the last year and a half or so, I've been doing some, uh, taking on some other responsibilities here at the church. And one of those responsibilities was doing some things with the building. And so we have a room downstairs called Hallelujah Hall that had old carpeting in it and needed to be painted, and the wall was kind of falling in. And so we were doing some significant work down there. And we had the wall repaired, and then we needed to paint and carpet. Well, we figured out a week there, there's just one group in that room for the week. And so we went to that group and said, here's the plan. We are going to clear out this thing, this room, this whole section after Sunday morning. Um, we'll have the painter in Monday, Tuesday. We'll have the carpenters in Wednesday, Thursday, maybe into Friday. And then we'll um, put it all back on Saturday. And many of you helped with that process. And it worked beautifully. But when we talked to this group, we said, okay, so you won't have access to this room for these, this day that you're in there because it'll be empty and you'll have to make other plans. And we talked about where we would move them around the building. And it was all good. And the next day, um, one of the facility guys, uh, Les Strongman, walked down to talk to them. And, and they said, well, where's that other guy that um, was here? And he goes, what other guy? And she goes, that other janitor. And he goes, what other janitor? And she said, well, that's short. He's kind of short. He's stocky, kind of balding. And, and Les just laughed. And to taunt her, because this is before we had any executive pastor conversations, he said, that's not a janitor. That's the executive pastor of our church. And um, you can imagine she was a little bit um, disappointed in that reality at that point. But shortly after that, I think it was in the same week, I went to pick up a bus. And I've driven bus uh, for leases for the youth ministry and stuff for the last 18 years. And I went, and I knew this woman for probably the past 15 years at this bus company. And I went in, and she said, well, it's time for us to sign a new lease. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll sign that. And she said, well, it really needs to be somebody that has some authority to do these things. And, <laughs> and I looked at her, and I said, yeah, I, I have that authority. I, I can do that. And she looked at me and goes, oh, I don't think so. And I really started to think, what is the deal? And so I encouraged her, no, I do have that authority. I understand what you're saying, and I'm telling you that. And she a couple times went back to, well, it's really not usually the bus driver. It's really usually the, the person, you know, like an administrator or maybe the senior pastor. I said, yes, I understand. I'm telling you, it's okay. So I signed it, and it was good. And a few days later, um, my assistant, Susan Johnson, called for something else to the same bus company. And she said, she got that same woman on the phone, <clears throat> excuse me, and said, um, hey, as long as I get you on the phone, can I ask you, does Mike Brinkman have authority to sign for your church? <laughs> so having known the person for 15 years, she has no faith in me. But this, the secretary on the phone, not a problem with authority. And so I share that because there's lots of times in all of our lives, I think, where we come across times where people say, you're, you're not good enough for that, or you're not in that right role, or you don't have the strengths that you need for that. Or sometimes we do that to ourselves, and we say, I'm not good enough for that. I can't. You can't put me in that position. There's no way. And God uses people in incredible ways. And I'd like to look at one of the stories of of a person like that today, and we're going to look at a, a story of Moses in Exodus 33. Um, if you want to pull out your pew Bibles, it's page 87. And Moses was a man that, um, just to give you a little background for those of you that may not be as familiar with him, he was, a, he was an Israelite who was born and then um, was adopted by a, a princess of Egypt and was raised as royalty, but knew that he was an Israelite and, and uh, had an identity with his people. And the Israelites were slaves at that time. And so along came 
Moses one day, and there was a, there was a um, Egyptian beating up some Israelites. And so Moses went and killed that, that Egyptian and thought nobody saw him and it would be fine. And the next day he went and talked to the Israelites and they said, what are you going to do, kill us like you did that guy? And so Moses ran. He went and hid and went off into this far land and ended up getting married there. And I was talking to a friend of mine about it, Moses once, and, and he was describing, you know, here's this guy that was, you know, an Israelite, but he wasn't in the Israelite area, and he had been raised as an Egyptian, and he wasn't there either. And odds are in that wilderness, he's not having a lot of personal quiet time. Maybe that wasn't as strong as it could have been, because he was far away from where, where he had been and where God had put him. And God shows up to Moses and says, I'm going to send you to rescue the people, the Israelite people from the Egyptians. And Moses says, no, 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 I can't talk. I'm not good. Don't send me. How do I know who you are? And he goes into all this stuff, and God uses them in amazing ways. And there's no way we're going to look at the, um, give you a a fair glimpse of the life of Moses. We're just going to take one little slice today um, and look at the time where Moses has followed God's uh, commands, gone and, and rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness getting ready to go into Canaan which is the promised land that God has given them. And what happens is Moses goes up on the mountain for quite a while to spend time with God and gets the Ten Commandments and things like that. And while he's there, the people of Israel say, yeah, we can't find that guy anymore that led us out of, Israel, or out of Egypt. Let's um, make a golden calf, an idol for us to worship. And so that Moses comes down and they're worshiping this golden calf and all of these, this huge sin of the Israelite people is there. And so this experience is right after that. And I'm always amazed when I look at people that have direct contact with God through the, through the Bible, how much they continue to say, so who are you, God? Who am I in, in who you are? And, um, and we want to look at some experiences today in, in Exodus 33 that, tell, that shows Moses kind of, kind of continues pursuit and continues seeking who God is. And I think his seeking has a lot of implications for our seeking as well. Um, let's pick up um, in verse 1. In Exodus 33, then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and your people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I have promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For God had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off the ornaments at Mount Horeb. So understand, this is the time where people have sinned. And and God is saying, I am going to send you to Israel, or in the, the land of Canaan, I'm going to send an angel with you, but I'm not going to go. Now, that, when I read those verses, I go, well, how does that make any sense and whatever? And I think the best I can come up with is the idea that God's will is going to happen with or without us a lot of times. So here are the, the Israelite people who have just come out of Egypt, and they are ready to serve, you know, ready to get to the point where God is giving them the promised land that they have been promised for years and years and years before, generations before. And they sin, and God says, okay, you're stiff-necked people. I'm still going to send you, but I'm going to send you an angel with an angel instead of with me. 
And I think that's a huge theological conversation that we probably won't get it. We don't have the time for this morning. But I think it's interesting if we look at it and say, does God still do his will in spite of us sometimes? And so he's sending them and he's going to drive out the people, but I'm not going to go with you. Well, Moses um, responds in horror to that. And uh, if you flip down to verse 12, we'll see how Moses responds. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you, and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. See, God responds to the repentance of the people. He says, you know, I'm going to fulfill my um, promise to you. But I'm not going to go with you. And Moses says, you have to go with us. If you don't go with us, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And God responds to their, prom- their repentance and his promises to be with the people. And it's clear here that Moses understands the significance of God's presence with them. And so I think that has implications for us today. I think if we are going to say, how do we seek God? I think we need to seek God's presence. Just as Moses is saying, God, if your presence is not with me, then don't even send me because I'm, I'm lost and I won't have the significance. And I think that question of what will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth is still has lots of relevance for us today. We live in a world where Christian behavior and non-Christian behavior is sometimes not all that different. Divorce rates are very similar. Even questions of ethics and honesty are often not very different. And why is that? Well, I would challenge, it, it challenge us to think that it's a need that we have to seek God's presence. It's God's presence in our lives that will distinguish us from other people on the face of the earth. And not in a way that says, look at how cool we are as Christians, or look at how together we have our life. But to say, we are different, so that when people look at that and they say, why, what's different about them? It's because they have been with God. It's because we have experienced God's presence. And today, looking back, we have the benefit of seeing more history than Moses had, and we, under, we can get a deeper and fuller understanding of what that God's presence um, looks like. In Matthew 28, Jesus is, has risen from the dead, and he's returning into heaven, and he commands his disciples, go and make disciples, baptizing. And then he says, and surely I will with, be with you always to the very ends of the age. So if Jesus is always with us, then my first point in the outline should be really um, seeking an awareness of God's presence. Because if Jesus is telling us, hey, God is saying, surely I'm with you always to the ends of the earth, um, then we need to adjust our, our challenge of not just seeking God's presence, but seeking an awareness of God's presence. Um, I heard Henry Blackaby, who wrote the, the book Experiencing God, talk about this very thing. And he, said, he challenged us to say, we even need to change our prayers. Because oftentimes our prayers, when we're in hard times, is Jesus, be with me. God, you know, come, come and be with me. And he says, you know, God has promised he's with us in, to the very ends of the age. 
And so our prayer should be more, God, help us to be aware of your presence right now. Because by defining it as presence is coming and going, um, with that fuller understanding of who Jesus is, then I think sometimes we're cutting God short and saying, well, your presence is kind of popping in and out on me here. When God says, no, I'm always with you, it's an awareness of my presence that's the issue. And it's a matter of what are we doing about that. And if we want to have a relationship with God that's real and authentic, then I think we need to seek an awareness of God's presence. And Moses knew this was foundational to anything else. And he said, if I don't have your presence, God, don't send me. Because what else is going to distinguish me from everybody else on the face of the earth? Well, beyond looking at um, seeking God's, an awareness of God's presence, I think Moses also went and sought God's face. And let's read, if you'd read with me, we'll jump back up to the section we skipped in verse 7. Where it says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now the problem with this verse is that... Um, it's always fun as a pastor when you pick a passage and then there's huge theological implications that are stuck in, in between there. But one of the problems with the, this verse is it says in verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Well, the problem in, is verse 20, which we'll read in a little bit, says, Moses, you can't see my face or you're going to die. So what do we do with that? Well, most of the commentaries I looked at talked about it's not... They, they, God uses the... Um, characteristics of our physical bodies and stuff in the Bible simply as its understanding point. And so it's not really God speaking face to face. It's more of that intimacy idea, the concept of as a man speaks with his friend. And so really I think we should can look at that passage as um, more of a, as a function and not as an actual reality. Because there, otherwise that's a confusing verse that says I, Moses spoke to God face to face and then a few verses later, Moses, you can't see my face. And so if we think about that as a, as a function and, and more than an actual reality, I think that helps us understand that. But I would encourage us even today that we need to seek God's face. We need to communicate God with God as we would a friend. And not as, okay, God, you're my little buddy, or you know, uh, but to have intimacy with God where you can tell him anything and you can understand what God wants from us, what he wants to do with us, that we can listen to him, that we can seek his face. And so what I'd like, I wanted to do today is bring the tent. We have a four-person or a six-person tent today and put up this big tent, but I couldn't figure out how to get the function of getting it up here without it being a distraction. So I brought a smaller tent that I would set up to signify our tent of meeting this morning. And Moses didn't have Velcro back then, so it's a little easier to get, get that set up, I think, for his tent of meeting. But, so if we have a tent of meeting, what does that look like? That Moses, when we were there, would set up a tent of meeting, and he would go out, and he would spend time in this tent of meeting and talk to God as a man would communicate with a friend. Well, I think we have that opportunity today. 
And I think that we, although we don't have specific tents that we're setting up at different places, I think we can develop the tent of meeting concept in our lives. And look at the time, because Moses was going through his life following God's commands, working with God, serving him. And yet he would take some time out of his normal everyday activities and go to a tent of meeting and communicate with God as a man would to his friend. And I think that's a challenge for us today to do that, where we take time out of our schedule and come and spend uh, time in a tent of meeting. Now, what does that look like for us? I think this experience here could be a tent of meeting experience. If you are coming to church and experiencing God, worshiping Him, communicating with Him as a friend, this can be a great time for you to do that. The struggle is, if you're only doing it now, I think we come with limitations. Um, I, there's, the Bible uses lots of um, different illustrations, like um, Jesus said He came to give living water. Um, he's the bread of life. There's lots of food and drink illustrations because, once again, God uses things that we can understand. And our sustenance and our nourishment is something that we can get. And so I would challenge you, if we come to a tent, and this is a tent of meeting for you, and this is their only tent of meeting, then I think we come malnourished. And we're not going to get the full experience with God because that's all, the only time. We're coming hungry. So when else can you have tent of meeting experiences? I think small groups can be tent of meeting experiences. I think the adult Bible fellowships um, that um, are our adult Sunday school classes and things can be tent of meetings. Your personal devotions can be a time of tent of meeting. And so I would challenge us to say, when are we seeking God's face? When are we taking time away from our everyday lives and going to a tent of meeting and saying, God, I am seeking your face? Because I understand that I have to have an awareness of your presence. I have to seek your face if something significant is going to be happening in my life. And with my job change, um, I really struggled with this in the, in the middle of August where um, when I came to church, it was a job. And I came and I would sit and I would think, I would hear announcements and think, oh yeah, i got to do that, and I forgot to do that. And I'd come in the door and the chairs weren't right, and so I'd set up chairs. And, and this experience here became a job. And the fact that I'm not teaching as often is really a challenge for me, and that will be, continue to be a challenge for me. And so I need to ask myself some questions. And I did ask myself some questions. First of all, what has changed? Well, we have the same worship times. We meet in the same sanctuary. We have the same worship pastor. We have the same people are coming. So why am I not? Why is this not a tent of meeting experience for me? And I think the first thing I came up with is because I'm not preparing adequately before I come. With this, with me working in this building, I have to prepare more adequately before I come, anticipating. I'm looking forward to a tent of meeting experience with God. Because I want to seek God face to face. And if I come just as a distraction of I'm doing all these other things, and okay, well, here I come to church, this isn't going to be a tent of meeting experience. I think the same thing can be true for your small groups. You come to set up your small groups, and, and that really can be a tent of meeting experience. Or it can be a bunch of friends getting together to hang out. And there's nothing wrong with a bunch of friends getting together to hang out. But if that's your tent of meeting experience, we're not seeking God's face. We're not communicating with God as a man communicates with his friend. And so I had to ask myself, okay, so I don't think it's anything that changed in this service and in the church. What is, then it must be in me. 
And so I realized I need to prepare myself more for those things. And so one of the things that does that really well for me is I went on a personal retreat. Um, it happened to be that about that time my wife and kids were going out to North Dakota to visit uh, my wife's family. And so I, um, I went to southern Minnesota to visit a friend down there. And on the way back, I stopped at a, a retreat center. And um, I just hung out there for a day and a night and, and um, read my Bible and prayed and walked around the woods and, and worshipped God and set up a tent of beating experience. And those things can be profoundly impactful. Um, the Shamanah has a women's ministry uh, retreat coming up in September. Those can be profoundly different experiences. And the great thing about those is those can be real tent of meeting experiences where I come a time out of my life to seek God's face and say, God, I want to communicate with you as a man communicates with his friend. Because I need to seek your face. I need to be aware of your presence. And the problem with that is those are great experiences. But again, if that's all I do, and now I don't ever do that again, or I don't reestablish this place as a tent of meeting, or I don't establish my personal devotions um, as a tent of meeting, if I don't look for additional tents of meeting at times, then I'm coming malnourished. And I, the cautions I have with these things are, are many, because I think often some of us will sit here and say, I'm, I got nothing, no margin in my life. I have no space to put in God. And so you can stand up here and talk about setting up tents of meetings, and I, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's really hard. And hopefully we can help you with that and challenge you and encourage you to that. You can talk to, to your friends and, and, um, or staff or whoever here or other churches, whatever, to talk about how do I set up times in my life to spend with God. The other thing that God has really been um, cautioning me with lately is how much we can fall in love with the tent of meeting. So I can come over here and I can spend time in the tent of meeting and I can live here and enjoy this and celebrate and never really move from that. And we even see Moses where he said they set up tents of meeting outside the the, um, camp and he would go there and then he would go back and minister and do things. Because one of my cautions with the tent of meeting concept is, do we spend so much time in our own Bible studies, um, in our own groups, in our Christian friendships of just feed me, God, feed me, that it's not so much we come malnourished, but we're gluttons. And we come to God and say, God, I just got to know everything about you, so I'm going to live in this tent of meeting. Which is a great concept. But God says things like, feed the poor. He says things like, love your neighbor. And if I'm sitting in my tent of meeting going, yeah, I understand that I ought to love your neighbor, but I'm really enjoying this tent of meeting time, then we're not just malnourished, we're gluttons, where we're saying we're, not, we're never getting away from the tent of meeting to do something with what God has done in our life. To love our friends, to encourage our neighbors, to make a difference in the life, to make disciples. And so... If your response to doing things that are action steps for God is, I can't, I'm in four or five Bible studies, then I would challenge you to think through, are you too much in love with the tent of meeting? And it's the opposite problem of those of us that are saying, I have no time to do this. I don't know how to do this. Or when I I just have one tent of meeting a week because, you know, I go to church for my kids or for whatever, and it's not really a tent of meeting. And so it comes down to our behaviors have to change. 
Because we can hear all this today, and I can read great stories about Moses and going, and and what a concept, experiencing um, awareness of God's presence, experiencing God's face, face, speaking to God like a man communicates with a friend, or a woman communicates with a friend, or a child communicates with a friend. And we can hear those things and walk out of here and go, that's a great idea. I would sure love to have that. And the first time we think about it is when we walk in this room again. I think that's not a tent of meeting experience. That's not seeking God's face. It's attending church. And I have to be real careful with those things because as a pastor, you know, I want you to come here. Um, You're fairly important to the existence of this place. But even more important than the existence of this place is are we spending time talking with God as a man or a woman or child communicates with a friend? And I think that's really important, and I think that's vital for us to, to encourage and, and figure that out. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what do I do in my life to develop a of meeting experience? Because some of you worship really well. You flip on music, and that's your end. Others of us don't. Others of us listen to great speakers on the, on the radio, and that can be a ton of meeting experience. And that's awesome. Others of you don't. Others of you are a ton of meeting experience by serving and investing in the poor, and that's awesome. Others of us don't. God wired us all differently for what that looks like. And even in this experience, when Moses went out to the tent of meeting, everybody stopped, the cloud came down, God spoke to him. When other people went, it was just that they were going to inquire of God. So not only do we need to seek an awareness of God's presence, but we need to seek God's face. And then continuing in this passage, I think we also need to seek God's glory. And that, we find that in verse, um, starting in verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face. This is the verse we referred to earlier. You cannot see my face, so no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you can stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And just a couple pieces of of those verses that I'd really like to point out. Um, Verse 19 where he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. That's really the big word we use for that is the sovereignty of God, or God is sovereign. And basically sovereignty or being sovereign means God is big enough to do whatever he wants to do. He's big enough because he's the creator God. He's the God that sent Jesus to die for us. He's done it all. And he's so big that we can never even understand that. And that's a sovereignty concept. And really, when God, Moses is coming and saying, um, Mo, Moses says, God, show me your glory. I think God's response is a little bit like, you want to see my glory? You can't handle my glory. Sorry, that was a bad, <laughs> bad uh, movie experience. But, um, but I think that's true. God is saying, if you want to see my glory... There's no way you can handle that. But I got an idea. I got this rock, and I'll put my hand over you, and I'll go by, and you can see my back. 
And one of the um, commentaries I was looking at really talks about, it's really, you can see where I have been. Well, that we can do. We can have the privilege of looking back at generations of God's faithfulness. And we can look it back and see where God has been. God was with Moses and the Israelites and brought them out of Egypt. God was with um, Jesus when he came and died for us. God was with the disciples when they experienced that. And we can even see where God has been in this world by looking at changed lives. By looking at how people who have been with God, who have communicated with God as a friend, have life change. And are different than people around them. And we can come and seek God's glory, which is really seeking his sovereignty, that's where God can say, I have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I have compassion on whom I have compassion. But I will show you where I've been. And so as people that are following God and seeking awareness of God's presence and seeking his face, I think we also need to seek his glory. And look at where God has been and pray, God, show me that stuff. And effectively, we can do that through ten of meeting times, and we can do that through times of looking at God and saying, I want to see your presence. And the struggle is we've got to be, be careful that we aren't looking to experience God fully and totally and package him up. And this is a huge passion for me because I think it's a natural tendency. Is that is seeing where God has been is kind of like chasing the wind where we see the wind moving some leaves and we run over there and say, okay, now I'm where the wind is and the wind has already moved. I think that's similar to our experience of God. Because sometimes we want to spend so much time saying, I want to package God, I want to understand Him, I want to pull Him apart and understand each facet of that, that we get lost in that. And sometimes we just got to be satisfied with God's sovereignty that He's so big we can't handle it. And we see this when God first called Moses in Exodus 3. And I'm just going to read a couple of the verses that, that may be familiar for many of you. Uh, Exodus 3, verse 11 says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. And I love that part because I think God is saying, you can know me as this. You can know me as the God who has called Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God who has been faithful throughout the generations. But really, I am. Well, that doesn't do much for us. Yeah, it's not supposed to. God is sovereign. Our goal is to seek God's glory and seek God's face and seek an awareness of God's presence. It's not to be God. And so as Moses get, he, God communicates to Moses, he gives him, yeah, here's what you can know. Here's what you can do, and here's the part of me that's so big you can't even imagine. And I think that we have, again, the privilege of looking back, and we can see God's glory displayed through Jesus. We will experience God's presence and stuff through him and through that experience. 
And as I was thinking about this sermon and, and uh, trying to do, think through things, um, I went to an elder meeting this week. And I didn't, I told them I was preaching, we talked about a little bit about it, but I didn't tell them what the topic was or what, what was going on. And we went around the room and, with the elders and talked about what, um, how are you experiencing God? And, and I just felt like, boy, what we're really talking about is how are we seeing, experiencing God's sovereignty? How is God's sovereignty? It, when we get to the point of saying, God, you're sovereign, I understand, I want to seek your glory, how does that impact our lives? And so I just started writing a list. And this is not a comprehensive list. It's simply a list of things that came up as we went around the room with the elders. And sovereignty results in joy. And joy is not happiness. That's a really hard difference. Happiness is something that happens to us. It's circumstances that come along that give me pleasure. Joy is different than that. Joy is the fact that I am, can rejoice in who God is. I can be joyful in who God is because God is so sovereign and so big that the circumstances of my life are less than that. And that's hard. We really struggle with that, I think, as people. When I come and I say, but I'm in pain here, can I have joy because God is sovereign? He's so big that I can't even understand how big he is. Um, when sovereignty comes, we result in freedom. It, the results, it results in freedom. It results in humility for us. It results in giving up on doing things out of our own strength. Sovereignty results in glorifying God. It results in enjoying God forever. forever. It results in rest. It results in singing and dancing in life. It results in seeing Jesus. And the result, reality is... Most of us stink at the list I just read. Because we need to continue to seek God's awareness of his presence. We need to continue to seek his face. And we need to continue to seek his glory. And celebrate the fact that he is sovereign. And that brings us so much freedom. And I know this is hard for us. It's hard for me. I think it's probably hard for most of us. It was hard for Moses. Remember, Exodus 33, Moses has gone through the, who are you, God? Who, who are you going to send with me? I'm worthless. I have this identity issue. To Pharaoh, I came and you need to let me go. To bringing the Israelites out of the land and coming to this. And Moses is still struggling with seeking God's face, seeking God's um, glory. And I think if we seek those things, if we seek the awareness of his presence, I think if we seek his face and we seek his glory, as much as hard things come along in life and it's difficult for us to understand, I think God will make a way for us to understand that and to see that.